The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into a house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals in the earth, um, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven the second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all put up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we, went, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and, your ho- and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, and thank you for reading for us. Uh, can I commend to you again that notice on the video? Uh, join a growth group. It's one of the best things you can do at St. Andrews. You can even have some pizza with Ming. My name is Darren. It's a privilege to share God's word with you today. Can you keep that passage open in front of you? Before we look at it, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us. Give us grace. Give us your peace, Lord. Guide my words that you may build the church through your own word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I do have to confess to the 1130 congregation when I first looked at the passage this week, my initial thoughts were, oh, no. Uh, Because last week we had Reverend Hiyu Han here. He spoke so well on Acts chapter 10, the watershed moment for the church as the Gentiles were now included in God's kingdom and his church, God's word had go forth. It was a wonderful piece of practical theology. And now, in Acts chapter 11, Peter has come down from the coast, he's gone to Jerusalem, religious headquarters, and he repeats, almost in verbatim, exactly what has happened in chapter 10. Uh, If you were here last week, uh, I almost felt like saying, you are dismissed. You can go for lunch early. And if you weren't here last week, well, well done. Laziness wins again. Um, But actually, on a second and deeper glance, we see there's far more going on here. Certainly, if it is worth repeating in Scripture, it is worth for God's people uh, to give it a second look as well. And it shows us, I think, very interestingly how this new idea that God was really for all people, it was not readily accepted by the Jewish believers. It was not readily accepted. 
Just like the disciples could not readily accept that Jesus would die and rose again, here we see that this group of people who are still hanging on to their ethnic privilege found this very, very challenging. And I think um, uh, I like the way the Bible doesn't Photoshop anything. It doesn't touch anything up. It shows us that real people were struggling with very real human heart problems, real sin problems, ethnic problems. Um, and thirdly, I think it shows us not just um, how the Gentiles needed to be converted, but how also the Jewish believers and Jerusalem and Peter needed to be converted as well. As Craig Keener on his excellent commentary on Acts says, Luke is interested in not only the conversion of these Gentiles, but also the conversion of Peter, excuse me, and the Jerusalem church's perspective. The, the religious people, the capital, its heart also needed to change, not just the Gentiles. For as far as Peter and Luke are concerned, there are no second-class citizens there's no platinum lounge. There is no gold card in God's kingdom. Peter argues passionately that all can be included if they have accepted Jesus Christ. This is the hallmark of an authentic Christian. And without trying to repeat too much of what was said last week, I think we can see something different here today, that Peter shows us clearly the hallmarks of an authentic Christian in three ways. Firstly, the person who has received the word, uh, verse 1. Secondly, the person who has received the spirit, verse 15. And thirdly, a person who has received repentance, verse 18. And well, we're introduced to the problem as soon as Peter gets to Jerusalem in verses 1 to 3. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went to the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, without talking about this too much because it makes me uncomfortable. Um, the circumcision group, who just sound like a tremendous bunch of fun, by the way, um, that's their thing, okay? That's their big idea. That's their USP. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it hard enough to talk to other people about Jesus Christ without having to slip in at the end that they require invasive surgery. Uh, if they want to come to my church on Sunday. I am so glad that Pastor Alex and I do not have to do this to male converts uh, who come to, to our church. Um, and while this may seem like a slightly abstract or distant cultural issue that most of us don't have to readily engage in, uh, the, the, the thought behind it is still very much prevalent. For what this Jewish group of believers are doing is, by hanging on to their ethnic privilege and background, they are insisting and putting pressure on Peter and the Gentile believers that they must now follow the Jewish way of life as well as following Jesus Christ. Um, and what Peter had done was really shocking to them, uh, really shocking. He had gone to Gentile believers, he'd ate with them, and he'd proclaimed the gospel to them. But not only that, now he was saying, you must accept them, for they are the same as us. They are believers as well. And we have to be very wary. We have to be very wary indeed when someone comes to us and says, yes, 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 Jesus is wonderful. Yes, believe in Jesus, but to be a full Christian, you need to believe in Jesus Christ plus something else. You need Jesus plus a second baptism. You need Jesus plus a first communion. You need Jesus plus your giving, Jesus plus your good works. Then, then you get to a gold membership with God. 
And we should also be wary and think and reflect of our own hearts and our own church where we are tempted to exclude or discriminate. Oh, it's so easy for us to do it on a racial level, on an economic or class level. But I think more subtly what can easily creep into churches is we start to exclude based on preferences or styles or they don't read the Bible the same way as us. They don't do communion the same way as us. They don't teach the same songs. To be a full member of St. Andrew's, you need Jesus plus X. And uh, Peter, well, he says he's not having any of it. For he says in verse 1, the apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word. And what it's saying is that anybody, anybody of any background, anybody of any color or class, they can be full members in God's church. And this phrase that Luke uses to receive the word is a very technical phrase throughout his two volumes, uh, the gospel and now Acts. He, he says here they received the word, but he also uses it elsewhere. In Luke 8, in the parable of the sower, the good soil receives the word and it flourishes. Acts 10, Cornelius received the word. He received forgiveness. He received the spirit, just like Mary and Martha received Jesus into their homes. And perhaps most significantly in the book of Acts, Peter and the apostles received the Holy Spirit at the event of Pentecost. And you might be thinking, well, what was it? What was this actual word that they received? And it was William Taylor of St. Helens that showed me this, um, commenting on last week's sermon, uh, where Peter told Cornelius and his family, he said, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee. What Peter is saying, the word that they received, is an objective, real, historical message about a man called Jesus Christ who brings peace between God and people. And he says it is well attested in history. You've seen it in Judea and Galilee. It's a real man who is well attested with evidence and facts, and it has God-given meaning because this man has now brought you peace with God. And he goes on, we don't have time, but he famously declares that Jesus died, he rose again, and God has appointed him as judge of the living and the dead. What's the word they received? An objective message about a real person that was well attested and had God-given meaning and significance. This is the authentic Christian, someone who believes this message, so there can be no confusion. And, and I think there is a lot of confusion today. A lot of people you know, can, can think they're Christians. A lot of cultures and countries say they are Christians. Certainly where I am from, most people still think they're Christians or they identify by their denomination. They say, oh, I'm Church of Ireland, Anglican, or I'm Presbyterian, I'm Baptist, or she, my uncle, or he, my uncle, is a Roman Catholic, etc., etc. To my father's shame, I was ordained into the Church of England in Liverpool. You know what the abbreviation for Church of England is? C of E, you know what that stands for? Christmas or Easter? Because that's the only time you go. Um, now, that's not quite true. There's lots of faithful Anglicans. Well, there's a few. Um, it's very easy to say I'm a Christian because I pray or I'm a spiritual person or I give money or I give my time or, or I turn up. But can I say that Peter says categorically, more than receiving communion, more than getting confirmed, more than saying you belong to a church, 
A Christian is someone who has received the message about Jesus Christ and has put their trust in it. It is very easy for people to say, my friends say it to me all the time. They say, they, they call me Rev. They say, Rev, you're absolutely nuts. Jesus isn't like that. I think Jesus is like this. Or God doesn't think that way. I, I think God's a bit more like this. And I have to say very carefully and calmly and humbly, I have to say, this is not what the first Christians thought. This is not the transmission of the testimony that we see from the first days of the church. And I have to ask, where have they got the evidence? Where is the revelation that, that what you're saying is, is the correct view of God? My question to you is, have you received this word, an objective message about Jesus Christ that is well attested and brings peace between God and people? So it's a message. It's a word that is received. But secondly, Peter shows that a real authentic Christian is someone who has also received God's spirit. And he makes, look, I think makes no distinction between someone who's received the word, believes the message of Jesus, and has God's spirit within them. He says in verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them and as, as he had come on us at the beginning. And everyone who heard it was astonished. He says, these people, all of us as Gentiles, can now be included because the same spirit at Pentecost that came on the Jews has now come on the Gentiles. He spells it out. He continues in verse 16 why this is the case. He says, then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced in Luke's writing throughout his two volumes that Luke uses the language of uh, the Holy Spirit coming on someone or being baptized by the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit uh, rushed upon them as it's sometimes translated, that Luke is talking about spiritual conversion. When someone believes in the message of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit rests on them and God's Spirit dwells uh, within them. And the person who has received the word has received God's Spirit the person upon whom the Spirit has fallen has been converted to faith in Christ and the person who has been converted by the Spirit can now receive the sign of baptism by water as a symbol of everything that God has done on the inside. John said you'd be baptized with water, but then I remembered, no, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What is happening is everything that was promised in the Old Testament is now coming true and Peter says, because of that, they praise God in their own language, just like at Pentecost. What happened with Cornelius seems to be a pattern throughout Luke's writing, a pattern of conversion. Someone hears and receives the word. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and then they are converted, and then they praise God in their own language. And now we see in Acts, all over the world, People were starting to praise God. This is uh, the miracle of Pentecost, which is a, a speaking miracle. Of course, Pentecost was pretty remarkable in that they could understand the other languages. But the great miracle was that people from all over were now able to praise the God of Israel. And I think there is often a lot of confusion uh, around this. I think it's really around because there's one time in the book of Acts where a group is converted and then the Spirit comes upon them at a later time. I understand that imperfectly and I have to say, well, this was God acting in a unique way in the book of Acts. The pattern I tend to see in the Bible and in church history and tradition is that people receive the word. The Spirit enables them to believe. They are converted and they praise God. 
And why I think it's confusing is because sometimes I think, um, well, one, Christians are told they need a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I have to categorically reject. But secondly, the Spirit never wants to be worshipped in and of itself. The Holy Spirit, as the third part of the Trinity and Godhead, is worthy of all honour and praise. But when you study the Scriptures, you see the work of the Spirit. is He's never saying, look over here, look at me. He's saying, no, 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 don't worship me. Worship Him. He's pointing and getting people to focus on the wonder and the glory of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does many wonderful things. He convicts you of your sin, if you've ever felt that. That's the work of the Spirit. He illuminates people's hearts to the glory of Jesus, if you've ever thought God was wonderful. He grants people faith. He enables conversion. He shows you that it's true. Have you ever read your Bible and it's just felt that Jesus just walks off the page and he's with you in the room? That's the work of the Spirit. He grants and gives people peace and he leads people to repentance. All so that they can praise God in their own language. I know this is true. I know it's true from the scriptures. I know it's true from the history of the church. And I know it's true from my own life. When I became a Christian, when I was 18 years old, in a car on, on, a, in, on a road trip in Northern Ireland uh, with some American missionaries, they knew they had me in the car for four hours that day. So they got their Bible out. They knew I, wasn't go I couldn't go anywhere else. They started to read through John with me, well, the main parts of it. By the time we got to John chapter 10 and we got to verse 10, they said, what does it say here? And I said, well, it says that he's come to give life and give them life to the full. And he says, so what does that tell you about Jesus? This man said, whose name was also John, so it's a bit confusing. What does it tell you about God? It says that Jesus is the one who has all life. What does it tell you about people? It says that people who have Jesus have life and people who don't have Jesus have no life. And it was at that moment, the curtain opened, I saw over the fence into eternity uh, and I knew the gospel was true beyond all of the Christian assemblies I'd heard in my Christian school, beyond all the Sunday school I'd been dragged along to and Christian songs I had heard. It was now finally true. And I came home that night, I got down on my knees and I prayed to God for the first time. I said, God, I, I accept that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I believe at that point the Spirit was on me. I'd been converted. I believed it. It was, it was in my heart. And then I did something very strange. I praised God in Northern Irish which is a very strange dialect of English. And that's the miracle of Pentecost. Not that they could hear different languages. Well, that's pretty cool. But the real miracle is that all people can worship God and know God. For what is going on here is more simple and significant than all of this technical theology I've just tried to teach you on conversion. For what it's telling you is that God lives in his people's hearts and with his church. And you know, Cornelius, he sounds like he was a great guy. He was probably on his way to becoming a Jew. And even if he'd followed through, when he would go to the temple in Jerusalem, he could only get to the outside. He'd have to stay on the outer court for the Gentiles. He could never go in because he wasn't born of the, one of the tribes of Israel. He didn't have Jewish blood. And now we're taught this significant truth that you don't need to go to the temple anymore. But God comes to us and he lives in our heart. And when he lives with you, when, he's, when he dwells within you, it's very hard to get rid of him. Very difficult to, to, to kick him out or evict him. And this is what you have to preach to yourself today. Have you received this word? Do you believe it? The objective message about Jesus Christ. Do you believe that you've received the Holy Spirit? That God dwells within you? Because he promises that if you have accepted the message of Christ, God's Spirit is alive and with you.
Do you believe it, that he gives you forgiveness unto life? An authentic believer is someone who receives the word and has received the spirit. And let no one tell you otherwise, that there's a first class, a second class, a third class Christian. Everybody does it. Every church does it in their own subtle way. What we need to reflect on is how to to iron that out. You know, one of the weirdest things that can ever, ever happen in your life is you get ordained into the Anglican church, okay? And then you go to the cathedral and it's like a royal wedding and all the bishops are there. And then they tell you to buy one of these collars. And then when you come out of the, the church after the ordination ceremony, where I did it in Liverpool, there were people on their knees outside the cathedral because they were asking you to pray for them because there was a belief that somehow, because you had become a pastor or a minister or a priest, as it sometimes said, you were somehow closer to God And can I just say that's just absolute nonsense? This is just a piece of plastic, okay? And it's still red blood in here. And Martin Luther, the great reformer, he fought and fought, not just for sola gratia, salvation by grace alone. He wrote equally passionately and just as much on the heresy known as dualism, where the priests in the Roman Catholic Church were somehow closer to God than the people in the pews. And can I just say that is just not, not true. It it leads to ugliness and it's a perversion that that needs to be stamped out. There's no first-class Christians. We're all in it together. And well, thirdly and most briefly, sorry, I I digress, um, is that not just have they received the Spirit, they have received repentance unto life. Verse 18, when the Jewish community heard this, they shut up. They couldn't say anything more. They had to be quiet and they praised God for they knew that he had granted them repentance onto life. Who could withhold baptism from these people? You know, we're going to do baptisms next month at St. Andrews when people come to have a little chat with the pastors because we don't know everyone uh, in a bigger church. You know, I'm not asking people, are they in a growth group? I'm not asking how much they're giving to St. Andrews. I'm not asking their Christian duty. I'm saying, do you turn to Christ? Tell me how you became a Christian. Why do you want to get baptized? And I'm usually looking for people to say something like this because I've believed in Jesus. I've been converted. The Spirit has fallen on me, so I want the sign of baptism by water as a symbol of that. And you see, why this is exciting is it's because no one becomes a Christian and then that's it. It's all one and done. No, because the rest of our life is spent following Jesus, marked by a life of repentance. And what repentance means is we turn away from ourselves and we turn back towards God. We turn away from the things God doesn't like and we seek and pursue the things that God does favor. And I promise you, just like I did all those years ago, when we do and turn to Jesus, we find joy and contentment and you find someone who has real power to make real changes in your life. You know, I'm I'm probably being a bit tough on the Anglican church uh, today, but that's okay because I am one of them. But you know, there's large wings within global Anglicanism that say to be an Anglican is just to have a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's to be a positive presence in society. We're to be seen but not heard. And can I just, it's sometimes called incarnational theology. And when I read the Bible, I just don't understand it. Because when I read Acts 11, I say, I say, no, this is far more than Christianity being an accessory or being an add-on or being something to help me with my problems or being a positive mentor or guru. Now, this is a message about a, a, a real man, about a real God who says he now lives with his people and he brings real change. And so this is what a, 
a life of repentance looks like as I seek a relationship and a life with God? And this is the answer for how I fight sin. This is the answer for uh, how I deal with my work, my relationships with conflict, how I handle myself, how I deal with my temper or my words. It's, it helps how we think about how we use our free time, our ambitions, our sexuality, how we want to turn from, away from ourselves in all things and turn and press into Jesus Christ. Could there be anything better than spending the rest of our lives learning and loving and serving our master in heaven who doesn't say he's just in heaven anymore but says he is living and alive and with his people. Full membership means a reception of God's word, a reception of his spirit and the rest of his life working it out. The day I became a Christian, I called a, the missionary called John and I said, what do I do now? He said, read the Bible every day, do what it says and leave the consequences to God. And uh, I promise if you do that, you, you will not look back. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonder, the cosmic wonder that you live with your people, even though we understand this so imperfectly. I thank you for granting faith to sinners, Lord, for revealing yourself in your word, the message of your son. I pray, Lord, that all who are here today could receive this message as well. And I pray, Lord, for those who are perhaps thinking about praying to you for the very first time, I pray that you would enable and grant the gift of faith. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.